thank you, Lord, that we can come to you and trust you and believe in you. Thank you for the privilege of going to the throne of grace. And as we uh, listen to and think about what you said in your word about prayer, that we could be corrected from uh, any bad ideas that we've got from the culture and understand what you teach us about prayer. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's see if we can get this going properly. Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. Now, last week we were talking about Neil Anderson, and we have a little more to discuss with his teachings on prayer and renunciations and affirmations. So we're just going to pick back up on that conversation and then later on we'll talk about the lord's prayer so you want to give us a recap of what we were talking about last week yeah we showed uh these lists of whatever kind of sins uh things that may have happened things that people got revelations about that ancestors they may or may not have had may or may not have done and these are listed and then renounced. And we pointed out that really this whole process creates hopelessness. It does. Because there's no way you know that it's actually done. You just have to keep going through it. You can, if you missed that, go back and listen to the last episode and you'll see where we are right now. And as we got to the end, I thought of a couple of verses and we're going to read those and show that that's really not what the Bible says. Okay, so I have 1 Corinthians 6. I'm going to start at verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor murderers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. So we were washed, we were sanctified, we were justified. There's nothing here about going back and renouncing former things. Right. If if we just be very uh, sober-minded about what the Bible says, we would never believe these teachers. Right. If you look at the seriousness of what's in that list, uh, remember last week we talked about this idea of soul ties? Yes. Paul didn't know about it. No, it's not mentioned here. You know, because he just said you were washed, you were sanctified. You're a new creature in Christ. Okay? Mm -hmm. Well, let me read a verse about that. Uh, This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting with verse 16. Okay. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Wow. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, meaning in his earthly 
the apostles? Yes. Were re eyewitnesses, and Paul was one who one has born out of time, according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Well, he's ascended to heaven. This isn't implying that Christ was ever a sinner. He's the sinless son. But we know him as the exalted one who sits at the right hand of the throne of God and rules from heaven. Now, let me go on. Verse 17, this is Paul's point. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, all of these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So if you're reconciled to Christ and you're a new creature, new creation, literally, then you're not part of the old Adam. And remember last week I said, reminded you of the scripture, and Adam all die. But yeah, you're in yeah. Christ, the last Adam. And so we don't know each other based on what our past was, were like. A lot of people who meet Christians uh, and only have known them as Christians, if they comes up whatever they used to be, they can't even imagine it. Right. They're thinking, why? how can that be? I've only known this person to be a joyful, victorious Christian. Well, it's because we're new creatures. Right. <laughs> we don't know each other after the flesh. And I don't know that these inner healers or deliverance people are, have the motive of trying to do this. But the result is everything that matters is what you were according to the flesh. Yeah. That's where the curses are coming from. Wow. So the demons are getting into your life, even though you're a Christian. That's how Satan gets his chance to uh, beat you up. And that's how the curses end up on your life, even though the Bible says we're blessed in Christ. And so then there's this endless, whether it's memories, our own sins, somebody else's sins, previous ancestors, things of the occult that may have happened, where we live on the face of the earth in some of these teachings. All of these things create this complex, hopeless situation where you don't think you'll ever be able to get out of it. And you'll spend the rest of your life praying these prescribed prayers, renunciations, affirmations, prayers over and over again, rather than resting in Christ and going to the throne of grace day by day for the needs that we have. Right. Now we have all of the past coming back and we got to try to deal with it specifically. So if you didn't hear last week's, go back and listen and you'll see what we're talking about as far as these false teachings. So what this means is prayer as taught in the Bible isn't like asking for revelations about the past sins of ancestors or the sources of the demons or uh, processing the past is my term for this whole thing that's taught by these false teachers. Okay, that's not what prayer is, but let me wrap up this idea of the armor of God, and we're just praying for gospel boldness. Okay. And I want to show how I wrapped it up in this article, which is issue number 122, July, September 2012. Okay. I say this in my article. The point 
you know, all of this is that our armor is God's armor supplied through his messianic promises and leads us to stand. We have no reason to retreat to a Christianized version of shamanism as many do. Stand in the gospel. Amen. And so that was the point. We are safe. Ephesians does so much to tell us that if we believe in Jesus Christ, the sinless Savior, the creator of the universe, the virgin-born Son of God, who died and rose on the third day, who, whose blood was shed to cleanse those who believe in him for the forgiveness of sins for all who repent and turn to Christ, we trust him. We don't need shamanism. Right. We don't need curse breakers. We don't need revelations. We don't need to know what demons doing what. We need to trust God. We stand. Now, we promise that we talk a little bit about the Lord's, Lord's Prayer. Yes. And here we, we made it. Here we are. Here we are. And that begins here. I want to begin with Matthew 6 and verse 7. Okay. The last few days, knowing that we're going to be recording, I broke this all out and looked up every Greek word and tried to make sure I understood what the correct translation is. And ironically and sadly, the Lord's Prayer has been turned into a shamanistic babble repetition by people trying to ward off evil. Wow. Okay. And uh, frankly, I, I blame Roman Catholicism for a lot of that, but mm-hmm. Protestantism hasn't done too well either. Yeah. Say this over and over again. That's how you get rid of your sins or you atone for your sins. But let's look at what it does say. Matthew 6, 7. Now, I'm quoting from the Lexham English Bible, which comes with my Logos Bible software. And I chose this translation because it's the most literal one I could find. I, I went through the Greek first, and then, well, like I do in my sermons, and then I looked to find which English translation brings out, I think, the best meaning of the Greek. Okay. Now, I'm not telling you you can't trust other Bibles. I just want to use this one so we can explain the Lord's Prayer. Okay. It's hard to understand something that becomes rote. Yes. So let's look at what it does say. Matthew 6, 7. But when you pray, do not babble repetitiously like the pagans. For they think that because of their many words, they will be heard. Now, that's just verse 7, Matthew 6. Lexham English Bible. Do not babble repetitiously. Babble is batalogeo. And okay. uh, word sounds like babble. Batalogeo. Don't. Just keep going over and over. Which is exactly what Rome tells tells people to do. Say this over and over. I thought about that now. I, I preached on it. I thought about it. And so many of our brothers and sisters that we fellowship in our local church were saved out of Roman Catholicism. Yes. Okay, and their relatives are still stuck in it. Mm-hmm. But can you imagine that somebody, they have sin and they feel guilty, so they go to confess and what's the prescription to pay for your sins? Say this over and over again. Our, so many Our Fathers and so many 
Hail Marys or whatever. So let's talk about the Our Father part, which would be the first words of the Lord's Prayer. Okay. Uh, they're using that to punish people. Wow. Yeah, they are. And they're telling people, do it repetitiously. That way you can uh, pay for whatever sin you did. Wow. There's no such thing as once for all. Right. There's no such thing as God being uh, one that we know relationally through Christ who loves us, who cares for us, who continually cleanses us. You got to keep sitting and paying for it, sitting and paying for it. Or yeah. show you're sorry. Say, say our Father and learn to say it really quick. You can get done with what they told you quickly that way. <laughs> That's not what it says. Go to the Bible. Don't believe these people. They're not talking for God. God talks for himself through the Bible. So do not babble repetitiously like the pagans, for they think that because of their many words, they'll be heard. No, God knows what we, who we are, what we think, and what we're praying. Yes. Okay? Reminds me of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, who went through all kinds of contortions, and their God, Baal, never did hear them. Right. Now let's go to verse 8. Therefore, do not be like them. Look at, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Yes. You might say, well, in which case, why ask at all? He already knows this. He'll take care of it. Don't worry. Because we're honoring God by confessing our dependence on him. Right. We're showing that we believe his promises. We we believe that God is has a is personal. He's Jesus Christ in the incarnation is fully human, fully God. Called yeah. this hypostatic union. And he hears us. He hears us. He cares about us. It's relational. Yeah. Any father who, and our father's imperfect, and we're imperfect as fathers, but if our child comes to us, we're going to, are we going to say, well, why don't you say that 20 times? I want to know you're, you really mean it. Wow. We wouldn't do that, would we? No. Well, would God do that? Absolutely not. Do we like it when our children ask us things so that it shows that they think we care about them and we have some wisdom? Right. Yes. How much more does the Heavenly Father love us and care about us? And he's going to take care of us. He has all power. He's omnipotent. Yeah. Yes, he knows all things. He already knows, omniscient. He knows what you need before you ask him. He even knows our thoughts and intents and everything else. But we have a relationship. Verse 9. Therefore, you pray in this way. Let me stop right there. Now, I looked that up in the Greek here the last couple of days. I was studying this. In this way, literally, utos is an adverb. It's an adverb in the Greek. And literally, in this manner. Okay. So it's not saying, word. say this canned prayer over and over no. It's a model. Yeah, an adverb is something that modifies a verb. Yes. Which is pray. Mm-hmm. Okay? In this way, in this manner. Not over and over. We're just told over and over is not what we should do. That's what the pagans do. Okay, so in this way, an adverb. Our Father who is in heaven, may your name be treated as holy. This is a really good translation. Okay. Okay, our Father who is in heaven. 
So God in heaven, who is a father who loves us and cares about us and always has our best interests in mind, condescends to hear the prayers of people who are his children, his sons and daughters. Okay? Mm -hmm. So it talks about the transcendence of God. So we learn theology here and also the imminence of God. He's close at hand. So the holy creator of the universe cares about the ordinary daily needs of us. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And how many people saying our fathers over and over even think about that? Well, they don't. So they let's, don't. Well, right now, we'll give you a chance to think about it. I want to think about it. Okay. I'm amazed when I spent this time this week, more than I have in, in a long time, going through the Greek and seeing what it says here, and then finding a good translation. So God's in heaven. He's transcendent. But he hears us. He's imminent. Both of those things are true. Yes. Okay. May your name be treated as holy. That's interesting. May your name be treated as holy. Hagiadzo uh, is a verb form, and it's in the aorist passive imperative. Treated as holy. Okay. So... The, the Really, and I've said this many times in my preaching, the Lord's prayer is ultimately a prayer about the return of Christ. Amen. Yes, it is. But most people don't even think of it that way. Right. And so the holiness of God's name is true. And we honor God and we pray for his name to be treated as holy, but it's blasphemed all day long. Right. It sure is. And so God is loving and patient. Because he tolerates sinners cursing him, blaspheming him, and desecrating anything that's good or right. And that goes on and on and on. So why does he do this? Why does God tolerate the blaspheming of his name when we are to pray that it be treated as holy? Because he is still allowing history to go on so that more can yet be saved before the judgment comes. Yes. So when we pray that may your name be treated as holy, we're praying that the time would come when he does return and all who refuse to treat the name of God as holy will be consigned to hell. Right. Okay. In the meantime, God allows it to save those who will believe. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's a, an imperative. May your name be treated as holy. Then may your kingdom come. Now that affirms what we've been saying about the eschatological reality that will, that is not yet. Okay. Okay. And so uh, may your kingdom come. May your kingdom come again here. May your kingdom come. Erkomai is a common word for come, but it's in aorist passive indicative. Okay. Time, may this come to pass. An imperative, which is exclamation point. It's important. 
That's what we want. May your will be done. Ginomai, in the Greek, uh, literally means to be or to come into existence. May your will come into existence. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not happening now. No, it, no, it sure isn't. Right. And the false teachers, which are the majority in many huge denominations, think, well, it's never going to come by Christ coming and judging and establishing the millennium and then ultimately the new heavens and new earth, the eternal order. It's going to come progressively on the earth as the church takes dominion over everything. Right. And that's a very popular teaching right now. That is utterly absurd. That's mm -hmm. not what it's saying. Okay. When the Christians have had nominal Christians power politically, they haven't treated God's name as holy. No. They blasphemed it. So if you think the name of God will be treated holy by your post-millennial fantasy, it never happens. Right. Because we still have the sinners blaspheming God. Mm -hmm. And if, we, if some uh, totalitarian Christian group decide to execute all the sinners, they still have themselves. Yes. And they're not right. <laughs> treating God as holy either. So yeah. it's a mess. No, this is a this is a prayer for the return of Christ. Okay. May your kingdom come. You can't have the kingdom without the king. Right. The king is now ruling in heaven. Okay. So if you're saying, well, that just means he's ruling in heaven, well, that's already true. Right. Why would we pray for something to come that is already here? Right. So he's already ruling in heaven. We're praying for the return of Christ to rule on the earth. Yes. As is promised in the scripture. Mm -hmm. Well, that's there. Um, may your will be done on as in heaven, literally as in heaven, so also on earth. Well, now it's in heaven, Christ will come. And that's a prayer for the return of Christ. Okay. Give us, now it's talking about ordinary life in the meantime. Right. So what do we need in the meantime? Do we need to learn the secrets of being the ones who take dominion over the earth without Christ? No. No, it doesn't say that, does mm -mm. it? What do we have in the meantime? Give us our today, our daily bread. Yes. What? You can't think <laughs> of something more exciting than that to pray for? Right. <laughs> See? <laughs> Isn't but you know, it also shows that God cares about our daily needs and our lives. Right. He wants to hear our needs. Well, you know, in the world that they lived in at the time, having bread was a big deal. You can read that in the Gospels, especially in John, by the way, John 6. Yeah. And you go in the Old Testament when they complained about the bread that God provided. Right. Okay, so they rebelled because, well, we had better stuff in Egypt. Yeah. Well, then in John 6, Jesus came as the bread of life, and they didn't like that either. Right. And they hated him. They didn't want mm -hmm. that. They wanted a king who could just give them endless bread so they don't have to go plant weed anymore. Right. And so this prayer is telling 
us that disciples, it literally should be called the disciples' prayer, are relying on God that they may be able to have the sustenance they need every day. Yes. That they're content people. Mm-hmm. We may have different lots in life and different circumstances, but what we need is just for God to take care of us. Now, the other thing we need is forgiveness of sins. Right. And to be forgiveness, so forgiven. So it okay. says, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And that's uh, actually a pretty good translation right out of the Greek. Okay. So forgive, a fee of me, which means release. So if you release someone from debt, they're free. Yes. So we owe a debt to God. The soul that sins must die. We're facing the consequences of our own sin. The forgiveness of sins is a release. Okay? And so there's other words used. Sometimes the word for release, but here there's a form of that. Forgive is heirs' active imperative. Heirs' point in time, something God does, and we're saying, God, do this, forgive us. What do we need? We need daily bread and forgiveness of sins. Right. We don't need to be the rulers of the world. Yeah. Uh, as we have forgiven our debtors. So we're not going to God and say, forgive our sins, but I'm going to make anybody that ever wronged me pay. Right. That's, isn't there a parable about that? Oh, there's lots of them, actually. Yeah. And there's context here. Mm -hmm. We won't have time to cover all that, but it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. But as we receive forgiveness, and we know that our hope is in Christ and not in this world, it helps us be kind and forgiving people. And we see that as what we need to do. Okay. Then one more thing here. And do not bring us into temptation, temptation but deliver us from the evil one. I chose the L-E-B because it translates that literally, the evil one. Okay. Now, there's reasons in the context to believe that it really is talking about Satan. Okay? Okay. So Satan is the accuser. He's the tempter. Jesus had gone through temptations and resisted every one of them. Temptation is certainly thematic in Matthew. And so what that is saying is that we're not overly impressed with our own ability to stand, even though we need to. Right. And we know the story of Peter. Though everybody else denies you, I won't. Well, then when he got into the pressure, temptation, parasmos, literally means pressure, uh, just the pressure cooker, he failed, but he found forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And so we're not so bold in, in this idea. I can go through anything, send him my way. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to defeat Satan. I'm going to overcome. I'm going to tell Satan uh, to get out of my way. And I'm, well, see, that's a lot of the teaching out there, especially in the New Apostolic Reformation. Yeah. There are false teachers claiming that they're going to personally defeat Antichrist before Christ can come back during oh, the, good grief. the seven years. Yeah. 
I got an email from a, a godly pastor in Israel said there's so many people teaching that. Wow. And he, uh, but no, what is it saying here? Mm. We're not so bold to say, oh, I can go through anything. I'll be fine. No, we're humbly coming before God and confessing our need. Right. And if God allows whatever he allows, he'll give us strength. Yes. So asking him not to bring us to temptation. He has a reason to, like Paul's thorn in the flesh. So be it. But deliver us from the evil one. Yeah. Okay. Right. So we need God to do that. God delivers us from the evil one. And literally the Greek, ha, Paneros, the evil one or the the evil. Deliver is ruamai. Uh, I love that word too. So we broke this down, look at it in a good English translation, and what do we learn? The Lord's Prayer is not at all like the prescribed prayers of the people that are writing these books. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tells us something totally different. There's humility. There's dependence on God. There's the honoring of God. We're not with the Lord's Prayer saying God's hands are tied unless we do certain things or say certain things. Or that wow. God bringing holiness into our lives, depending on us gaining secret information about our past and that of our ancestors? No. About what curse is on us? No, we don't need to know that. God, make your name to be seen as holy. Amen. He does that through saving the people, sanctifying the people, and ultimately coming for them and bringing us to be with him. Okay, wow. We are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. If you'd like to contact us, you can reach us through the website, cicministry.org. Click on contact, and we would love to hear from you. There's also years worth of articles and previous podcast series you can find at the website, cicministry.org. We want to remind you to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis. And Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week. Okay, thank you. I, I did that because I'm preaching as well, and I want to make sure I got a voice for everything that needs to be done. So now what we'd like to do is discuss some of the things that came up. It ended up being the Lord's Prayer, but the reason this happened was we'd been covering uh, the false teachings of a guy by the name of Neil Anderson who has pages and pages of checklists that you have to figure go through, and I was showing those in previous episodes on the video. What if you missed one of the checklists? Well, now you got problems again. And we're trying to compare the teaching. Of the, now, Neil Anderson is more of a traditional evangelical, the dominionists, they have, they're a little different. But in order to counter that, we just went and discussed, well, what did Jesus say about prayer? And so now 
We've got the mics working, so we'll have discussion on that. Uh, LaVon, over here. Um, I'm thinking about Leviticus 10, where um, Nadab and Abihu, um, that was, you know, they, they didn't worship the Lord the way, exactly the way God said. Well, um, we are to approach God on his terms, not just any old way we want. We are, it says, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. Right. Let your name be treated as holy. Mm -hmm. Now, let me talk about the context there. Part of the problem in that, in the Old Testament, was whether they were going to accept that Moses was the one God appointed to speak for him and give the old covenant law. And that was challenged at different times. Now, maybe, um, boy, it's been a long time since I preached through that passage. But if God, for example, on Sinai, they knew God was holy because they saw the thunder and the, all the fire and everything, and God and Yahweh came. But then there was no doubt about what God had done. They all knew that God brought them out of Egypt to make his name shown to be holy to the Egyptians. But they said, no, why listen to Moses? We would rather do it. So by challenging who speaks for God, they were literally defiling the name of God who had chosen his spokesperson, Moses. And I would say analogous to that today is all the people who say, no, the Bible, we don't know the Bible. We don't want to hear the Bible. We don't care about that. We have our own agenda. So by having your own agenda and not finding holiness the way God said, which is the imputed righteousness of Christ, you're blaspheming God's name. Yes. I can just hear um, probably some millennial saying that God is selfish in glorifying himself. Explain why that's not true. Okay. Well, for one thing, should the creature say to the creator, why have you made me thus? And really, in my debates with the emergent people, which would be the ones that would look at it that way and who reject basically everything that's important in the Bible, Doug Padgett, Tony Jones, and I wrote a book about that, they're trying to use their idea about what things should be like in their mind and saying, if God doesn't do it the way I think he should be, then there's something wrong with God. Uh, but we can't have that, so we're just going to have our philosophy. I think that's how they say that. But um, good question. Let me say this. In the end, after all of these debates, first with the emergent or the secret church or whatever, the, real, the bottom line comes down to, has God spoken? Uh, has, can God only speak through the Jesus as Christians like to define him from the Bible? Well, the Christ spirit. Okay, so who is God? How has he revealed himself? What has he said? If we can know that, then that settles it, but they don't think so. Yes, Ron. 
It's interesting, just the last few days we spent up at a relative's cabin and unfortunately became a whole weekend of a commercial for uh, Neil Anderson's materials. Really? Because he's really into it. This has been his latest rabbit trail. And uh, anyway, w one thing that came out of it that I wasn't sure the connection, but Neil Anderson would, would recommend uh, Watchmen Knee. And you've spoke about Watchmen Knee, and he's thought, he's thought to be a, uh, a deeper life. If you want to get deeper with Christ, yes. you go to Watchmen Knee. Yeah. So maybe you could just speak a little bit about Watchmen Knee, because the complicated process of, that he yeah. gives. Thank you, Ron. Very, very good question. Um, one of these, Jessica does the work. I just sit there and talk, and it turns into this. One of these episodes... Because I got deceived by Watchmen E in the 70s, and it was a horrible thing. I spent five years trying to figure it out, and it's hopeless. It's as hopeless as Rome. You've got to get revelations. You've got to know, know my spirit did this, my soul did that. The spirit is, human spirit is divided into three parts. The soul is divided. And so we did a, a thing on it. You don't need that. I was warned about that in Bible college. I didn't listen to my teachers. They told me, stay in the Greek, stay in the Bible, and preach the word. But I, and they saw, one of my teachers saw me watch my knee book, and he warned me, that's not right, that's going to hurt you. But I wanted to do it for myself, so I did, down me. And so, this was amazing. In one of these episodes, I showed the Watchman knee book I used to listen to, to the video, and evidently ended up in the final broadcast. And I had a call from somebody whose elderly father on his deathbed had spent his entire life trying to live out Watchman Nee. And this lady had seen the video that we did, and I put the book up, and she said, oh, yeah, that book I saw my whole life. And she sent me an audio that she had recorded of her dad on his deathbed and she was asking him questions about what he believed and what he had spent his life. And it was so sad. Oh, yeah, there's this uh, celestial body. And he was just speaking things that that group was into. You don't end up with assurance by trying to go through all this. Now, I've been trying to help people see that now for several decades. I don't know. Why would you want... Uh, what did I call it on the video? Contrived, convoluted uh, process. It goes on and on and on and on. Why would you want that when once for all? This is it. The Bible says about Jesus. Jesus Christ, he shed his blood once for all. Once for all. So Watchmani has this anatomical version of sanctification. Your body's divided up into three parts in this scheme. Your soul's divided up into three parts. Your spirit's divided up into three parts. And all of these have to be, we have to be aware of and figure out. And ultimately, to be the spiritual man, you have to allow your spirit to guide your soul. The body tends always to want to be evil. You can call it Gnosticism. And so the spiritual man is attuned to his spirit. Now, I've written about that. But this lady said, God bless her. I, I was surprised she contacted me and sent me that audio. And 
Do you want to end up on your deathbed with no hope? Confused? Or thinking, I wonder what, where my, what happened to my celestial man. I, I preached on this recently. People that loved Jesus, and I know they did, but they were always told, well, if you really have the good confession and you live a holy life and you do things really good, then everything will be fine. And on their deathbed, they, they're saying, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? In the past, I was the assistant pastor. We talked to several and said, people who love Jesus get old and die too. And um, frankly, I mean, I'm ashamed that I didn't listen to my teachers in the 70s and had to go try to do wash your knee myself, find out I couldn't, it's hopeless. And the inner healing, I tried all that. It was foolish. I should have listened to them. I didn't. But God can use that. So let's just summarize this. Isn't the Lord's Prayer rather simple compared to what everybody says about it? Do you really believe, think about this, do you really believe that if you didn't process your own past properly, then you've got all kinds of problems and you better go get more counseling? Or do you believe once for all? Norm? Uh, Getting back to uh, Lord's Prayer here in Matthew uh, 6.12, where he says, uh, it's about forgiveness. Forgive us our sins, as we also have forgiven our debtors. That's, uh, That's a pretty sobering verse when you think about that, that our forgiveness would be uh, linked to how we forgive others. And and I think of the example where Jesus was on the cross and uh, after everything had been done to him, and he, he says, forgive them for they know not what they do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have to wonder why, why did he have that attitude? Why did he allow his name to be blasphemed? And I, I think it's because he had something much greater th- that then what they were doing to him that was being worked out in God's providence as far as salvation and he had to give his life. But I'm wondering if there isn't a key that we can use when we think we have things that happen to us that we think are unfair, that God uses all these things for some greater good in his providence, either for us or for something else. And I think that's kind of a key to help us deal with the evil and so forth we see going on in this world. Okay, thank you. Um, let me respond to that. In the, the reason this came up was we, we were talking about all these checklists that Neil Anderson had. It's true that Christians believe that because God forgave our massive debt of sin, a fee or a thesis to send off, send away, as far as the east is, it's from the west, which Eric's explained as a pilot, it's as far away as it can be. But I would just say this, that we, that we do need to have an attitude of forgiveness, but we're not perfectly forgiving like God is. We know what his moral law is, but the subtle twist that kept people thinking it was hopeless, even when they're on their deathbed, 
is that if you, there's somebody you didn't forgive, it's probably there somewhere, it wasn't on your checklist, now you're lost. So rather than making us dependent on what God did once for all, we become dependent on us and whether we are forgiving enough or not, which we're not even sure of. Because we could easily say, oh, I forgave everybody. And still, we could just say that. But the reason we say that is we affirm our need for forgiveness. And we affirm that Jesus is right. God has released me. I should forgive others. And I do, but imperfectly compared to Jesus. But we don't lose our salvation. Okay, so I'm looking at the Greek here. A fee of me um, have sent off heirs active indicative sent it off. I, but here's here's why that's uh, appropriate to what we were talking about with Neil Anderson. Thanks for mentioning that, Ron. I don't think, and I've written about Anderson's teachings. I don't think you ever find hope because those checklists go on for pages. And how is anybody going to think, well, I think I missed one, and that's why I got problems now. And so when we say forgive others as we uh, having sent off, forgive our sins, we're acknowledging the only way that anyone could ever be released from sin and our debt to God is through what Christ did. And we're asking him to do that acknowledging that that being the case, look at the thief on the cross. One of them is still blaspheming, and the other one just simply says, remember me when I come into your, when you come into your kingdom. Yes, Marilyn. Is that on? Green, it should be a green light. Is all these verses on uh, give us our daily bread, forgive are those commands? You know, I was just thinking of how Christ was going to feed the, the thousands, and he took the lad's little lunch, and he didn't command God to feed these. It seems to me like it's always more of an attitude of gratefulness, recognizing our okay. source. You know, he is the source of everything we need. So, That's exactly right. And so... The imperative here, let me just look at it. Uh, Pray in this manner. Let be your name holy. An imperative doesn't necessarily mean a command. It can be an exclamation point. We want your name to be treated as holy. That's an attitude. And the reason I said it's a prayer for the return of Christ is that between the first advent and the rapture, God's name is not treated as holy. Okay, and the only way we can honor the name of God is believing the truth of the gospel and coming to him on his terms. So what I think this is, and we can discuss this, is a prayer for the return of Christ. But in the meantime, as we forgive others, we want to live in a way that shows we actually believe this. That he is going to come. He is going to make his name holy. And when he does come, we want to have a relationship with him. 
That's how I understand it. Stop doing this, stop doing that. Well, I remember we were going through the Gospels with my favorite teacher, Dr. Versaput, uh, who's with the Lord now. Um, and I saw we were going through something in Matthew. And I said, well, isn't that the law showing us a need for the Gospel? And Dr. Versaput said, I guess there's a little Lutheran in all of us. Uh, a very interesting answer, meaning... We're not claiming we can perfectly obey God without Christ, but we acknowledge that he's the one who speaks for God. Yes. Uh, let me quick read 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you Amen. in Christ Jesus. So if we're born again, and we have that relationship with the Lord as the Father, and we're to continually be praying, it would be silly to continually be repeating our Father who art in heaven, our Father who art in heaven. It, it, it's just, it's, it's silly. So because of that relationship with God and to be continually in prayer, I'm sure a lot of you... Uh, throughout the day, whatever situation happens or whatever goes through our mind, we have that ability to go directly to the throne, and we're always continually praying for whatever it is that's going on in our personal lives, in the world, in, uh, in, in anything that happens to come up. Uh, cast your cares on him. He cares for you. In church history, which... They just teach you right now. It's really eye-opener to see how people took things rather than concerning themselves with the author's intent. Now, well, the only way that's ever going to happen is take O's, go out to the wilderness, join a monastery. Prove God what needs you to prove to him you're serious. Oath of silence, oath of we're going to not say anything, we're not going to have anything. And so they think, well, we're pious now, but they're still going back to works. Is God happier with you if you say 20 are fathers slowly than if you say 10 of them really fast? <laughs> Is there this scale of how you get God to be happy with you? And let me just say that. That's a very good question. Let's say this. If we can't start with the once for all, all the rest of this gets confused. Okay? The thief on the cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And yes, Dana, get, uh, there you go. As an indication of how this Lord's Prayer was, was taken not as a model but became part of church liturgy, that verse 13, which ends with... with what has become familiar wording to people where they say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. That was not part of the original text. That it was, was added as, 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 through the centuries as it, as it became part of liturgy. Yeah, it was added in later. And that's why it's not in the best of Greek manuscripts. That's a good point. I had someone email me recently from another country who said, well, somebody told me if basically... You're not casting demons out. 
then you're not obeying God. And the proof of it was the ending of Mark 16, where it says, these signs shall follow those who believe. They will cast out demons. So Mark ending, which I don't believe is original, and there's good evidence it wasn't, is where the snake handling churches in Appalachia got their idea. They'll pick up serpents, baptismal regeneration. And so some have actually said, if you're not casting out demons, then you're disobeying, you're not really a believer, and there's no evidence, and so on. And I, and I used to, don't, I, it was so hard to explain because then you get into the King James only and all this. And so I just decided I'm going to tell them what I believe. I don't believe nine through the end were in the original Greek. And because I don't believe in snake handling, uh, that if you're a believer and so on, and, and you can look that up. But yeah, thanks for bringing that up. We, sh- we do need to do manuscript uh, analysis about what the original was. Yeah, you're right. It was added in. And the reason, some people think the reason the snake picking up serpents was added in is because they wanted to make it sound like Acts, where a serpent jumped out of the fire and bit Paul. Well, then it was turned into something we go do. And it is Father's Day. So... Uh, the Bible does say honor, give honor to whom honor is due. Honor your father and mother. And so we want to honor fathers and mothers and our parents. Um, I think it's, I got to say it's true that it's not easier for me to teach when I have my daughter interviewing me. I'm telling you, I, I don't deserve that, but God is so good. And it means the whole world to me. Uh, I didn't think that would ever happen. So God can do a lot of things we don't know he's going to do. Okay, let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness and your goodness and your mercy. Thank you that we have access to the throne of grace. Thank you that you have allowed us, um, who had nothing going for us, to be able to know your eternal purpose that's revealed in your word. Thank you, Lord, and pray for everyone here that you'd comfort them, give them hope and assurance of the forgiveness of sins as they believe in you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.